Welcome to the Pony Pod, brought to you by the SMU Daily Campus. I'm Lauren Rangel, and I write for the DC. This episode is a part of our series called 365 Days and Counting How the Pandemic Reshaped Us. By now, there's no question that COVID-19 can make you sick, really sick. It gives you a cough, fever, chills, headaches, and shortness of breath. You can even lose your sense of smell and taste. And it stops for no one. Even the U.S. president got infected in October of 2020. While it can infect anyone, the CDC says the virus can disproportionately affect racial and ethnic groups. These groups include Hispanics, African Americans, American Indians, Alaskan Natives, Native Hawaiians, or Pacific Islander people. The risk of exposure to the virus, illness, hospitalization, and death is higher for them. Things such as housing, occupation, education, healthcare access, and etc. all factor into this. Even with a vaccine, the Texas Tribune found that white Texans are getting vaccinated at about twice the rate of Hispanic Texans. But an even more significant gap exists. White Texans get vaccinated more than six times the rate of black Texans. While COVID-19 may have illuminated the racial disparities in our nation for some, it's important to note that this isn't a surprise to some SMU students. I'm Chrislyn Faison, and I'm a junior, and I am studying theater and film facing race and COVID-19. I think it is time for us to talk about it, Lauren, but it's a heart change that needs to happen. Chrislyn talked to me more about racial disparity through the lens of COVID-19. What did you learn about race with COVID-19? I have learned as I've gotten to know myself in COVID-19, through COVID, we have had to isolate. We have had to be in spaces, um, whether it be our home or our rooms or things of that nature where we are like placed in a set space and we can't leave it like due to the world's health, we cannot leave this space. And in that, I've learned a lot about myself um, and just like how we validate things that we've been through in our lives. And I guess with me learning about ways in which flaws that I have, in which that I validate like thoughts that I have that aren't even true, um, but because I'm angry, I want to believe that it's true. When it comes to race, I've realized that for some, there is a validation of their perception and views upon Black people, upon people of color, upon women, um, things of that nature. And um, sitting with that has made me realize like the depth of perception and how race is a construct and um, it's it's not even like, I guess it's real, but in terms of the beginning of time, like human and human, right? And then there became this idea of better than, lesser than, so forth. So what I've learned about race through COVID is that it become, you have to be willing as a person to give up 
your ideas, to give up what you've been taught. You have to surrender that in order to fully be able to change. Yeah. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong, but since COVID-19, you joined BLM at SMU. I did. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that extra time that you had to really reflect on the world gave you more passion for fighting for racial equality? Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent, Lauren. I mean, I had to sit with it. Like I could not turn to my, if I was turning to my homework, I still had my phone beside me. If I wanted to go to, you know, usually maybe I go to the library or sit outside or something like that. Now I'm in my room, in my space, continuously seeing, um, things that racial injustices that have happened uh, over the course of last year. I, I had no choice but to, but to listen and to understand what has been happening in our world. And if you see it, it makes you upset. It makes you angry. It makes you think like what we are capable of as human beings to validate, to believe what we're able to believe and stand firm in. Um, and that for me was like, ah, oh, man, like I gotta help. Like, I gotta let these people know, like, this is not, it is not okay. So yeah, I, I will say that uh, like Lauren, what, what I'm battling with is I do think if you choose to look at the truth of how COVID-19 is impacting way worse lower income communities, communities without access, mm-hmm. health care and things of that nature, how it's taken over completely neighborhoods and families and things of that nature. When you choose to look at it and accept it, yes, but like there's there's still a choice mm-hmm. to be aware and a choice to maybe rather turn your attention to the vaccinations than what's going on in other communities. There's still this choice. Um, and I, I think it has been highlighted in the news like many, like it was before, um, but it's a matter of people wanting to listen, people wanting to accept what they're actually seeing. If you could tell people about this subject that we're talking about, like, what would you want them to know? Yeah. About race through COVID-19. Yeah. I would say to face, to face it. I think the theme of COVID for me has been, I've had to face a lot of things in my life, you know, struggles that I have and horrible habits of studying and (laughs) all all those things. Like I've had to face those things. There were no distractions or anything. So I think the theme of it is to face it and uh, facing race and COVID-19 is... That's a that's a big statement, Crystal and Facing. The way I just set that up. <laughs> Race and COVID-19 is. Um, yes, I think it is time for us to talk about it, Lauren. 
but it, it's a heart change. It's really a heart change that needs to happen. And I would say, face it, face it like you would a relationship you really care about. Fight to face it. Fight to know what's really going on and fight to honestly understand what it is. Don't give up um, because you may not directly fit into the situation because you're not black or because you're not a woman or because, because, because. Um, we all have a common ground and that's all, and that's that we're all people. So we understand each other in ways that only we can. So yeah, I say fight to face it. Just as we've seen COVID-19 hit different racial and ethnic groups disproportionately, there has also been a significant impact on gender, specifically women. Unemployment among working women is so low, there's a female recession. McKinsey and Oxford Economics estimates it could take up until 2024 for female employment to recover to pre-pandemic levels. Jobless or not, some women are finding themselves struggling to balance their work and home life. The WIA report tracks the progress of women in academia. They found that women who are married or living with their partner and have school-age children at home carry a heavier load than men when providing childcare as schools move online because of the pandemic. 44% of women reported being the only one in the household providing care. That's compared to just 14% of men. Plus, 64% of college-educated mothers say they dropped their work hours last year. Needless to say, the data shows a gap between how the pandemic is impacting women and men. It's especially large for working mothers. Dr. Casey Hollenbach is an archaeology professor here at SMU with two young children. She told me more about what it's been like as a mom in the workforce during COVID-19. When COVID started, my eldest was in kindergarten. And it's, it's a rough time. Uh, Dallas, early on, everybody went online. Um, it is impossible to teach toddlers virtually. They don't have the attention span. Um, I was amazed. I, I was teaching two classes in the fall, or I mean in the spring when COVID hit, and um, I had to start doing them all online while taking care of the two-year-old and the kindergartner. Um, and at the time, DISD, the Dallas Independent School District, only had the meeting with their teachers once a week for 30 minutes. And so that was pretty rough. Um, it's been a long year. We've, in the fall, they, they were, uh, the first grade started completely remote, um, but they met every day. But when you're teaching several classes, it's really hard to manage, to work and deal with that. So we were very lucky. Um, we had, to, we hired somebody and we actually converted my lab on campus. The SMU Department of Anthropology has been very supportive. So uh, my husband teaches here also, and our chair let us alternate days teaching. That's why I do Tuesday, Thursdays, and he does Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Um, and our chair also let me convert my lab into basically a daycare. And so we created a pod, a learning pod, and hired a tutor to, to watch the kids. But it was rough because um, we could only afford her for five hours a day, which isn't enough time 
to get everything done. Um, on lunch, she would need lunch breaks. And so I would finish teaching, run over, watch the kids for lunch on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We'd take them outside, um, and then she would come back. And then we would, luckily, the preschools did open back up. What does a day of online school look like for your kids? It was, it was actually really interesting. I was really impressed with how the teachers handled it, um, especially early in the fall semester. Um, we would, you know, routine is so important for kids and that's been something that's been hard during COVID. Um, we would get up, we, you know, breakfast, we would uh, drop off the toddler at daycare we would drive up to SMU. Um, I would actually go get the other kid who was in the play, the play pod and learning pod. Um, and they would come up, they were fully masked the whole time, just like SMU students. And they would go in and we created structured spaces for them. Like, so individual tables where they, they, um, they have tablets. And it was a very normal routine like you would see in the classroom. Like they would start with a morning ritual they would talk to each other. They, they actually enjoyed it, I think. Um, they very much liked online learning. What changed was when Dallas started, they opened the schools back up. And so some kids could go back, but a lot of, we didn't know what transmission rates would be like. And so, um, and the rule was if you sent your kids to school, you could pull them out and bring them home for virtual learning at any time. But if, you had them at home, you had to commit to the full grading period, which is nine weeks, which is really hard to do. And so we committed to keeping them home for the first nine weeks, which meant more money because you have to pay somebody um, to watch them. Um, the thing as a parent that I've struggled with is, you know, you hear from pediatricians, like you have to watch how much screen time kids have. And the way schools have handled COVID for kids is they give them tablets and they are on a screen all day. And I'm seeing it's, they're moodier. Um, Me too. They have, they, exactly, like I don't wanna do one more Zoom call. Um, I, he has a harder time focusing. It's almost like he goes through screen withdrawal now. Like he'll, he went to a Montessori school when he was young. So he used to like to do lots of hands-on stuff. And now he's basically, if he doesn't see a tablet for a certain period of time, he's like, oh, can, can I be back on a screen? And I, I become the bad guy and I'm like, no. But the other problem is when you're a working parent during COVID, you sometimes do have to say, no, it's okay. Yeah, go get your tablet. You can watch a video or you can play a game because, you know, in academia, professors, we don't have 40 hour a week jobs. You know, most of us, we're supposed to teach, we're supposed to do service and we're supposed to do research. And I think there was a study, um, done it was at Idaho State that said on average people are working 61 hours a week that is average for faculty and it's okay because we love what we do but to do that for me like the Tuesday I got up at 4 30 and I was at school before six and I teach um I teach an evening class that's virtual only so I teach at 9 30 I teach a 12 30 class and I teach a five o'clock class so I didn't go home until 6 45 so I worked over a 12 hour day and it's okay because I love the students and um but so Tuesdays and Thursdays are like that's hard for my kids and then even on Monday Wednesday Friday I have to leave to get them because my husband's teaching and then I'm squeezing in responding to emails while I'm cooking dinner and so sometimes turning on the video is like the easiest thing to do with the kids. 
How hard is it to balance your work life and family at home? There is no work life balance. Um, and I think you're, I think many women will say that. Um, I am blessed in that my spouse um, puts in a lot of time with the kids. I have friends who aren't lucky because some, some of them, their husbands do just work more and maybe they have part-time jobs. But I'm, I'm finding disproportionately both in our household and among um, my friends who are mothers, women are doing a disproportionate amount of the work. And I think there's research now that's showing that also. Um, and you know, so like with little kids, it's sometimes because the, the kids do want one parent more than the other. And so um, it's during COVID, it's been really hard to juggle that. And there's no escape, there's no relief from it. It's like an unceasing thing. As you know, there's been a lot of women who have left the workforce to go and take care of their families or their kids just to stay home. Why do you think you kept teaching? I kept teaching because um, I very, it's part of my identity. I mean, but that that's so unfair to say. It's privilege. I'm privileged in that my schedule is such that my chair cares enough about our family that she let us alternate days so I can keep working. I, I teach two days a week. Now I do lots of work on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, but there are, the problem in our society is jobs, like I have friends who are nurses or doctors or, um, you know, if, if they work in say restaurants or something like that, you have to go to work and you have to go to work on other people's schedules. Academia does allow us some flexibility. And so if I had a rigid schedule, I, I don't think I would have been able to keep working like this. That's this week's episode of 365 Days and Counting, How the Pandemic Reshaped Us. Next week, we're talking to SMU's healthcare workers about being on the front lines of the fight against the virus. Well, I was one of the first ones to actually get the virus. That's why I always made myself available to all the kids that were currently in isolation with symptoms because I could relate at a different level that, you know, my coworkers couldn't relate to. That's phase five. Thanks for listening to the Pony Pod. Special thanks to Abby Cole for producing our music. And follow us on Instagram at SMU Daily Campus and Twitter and Facebook at The Daily Campus. Until next time, pony up.